We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. I wanted to give us an overview of what is Judges trying to do because it's ordered in a certain way. It's not, it's not just ordered in a chronological, this is the history of what happened during this time. Because actually the last four, from seven, chapter 17 on, that actually happened before all of the other judges. Given the dates and the times and the, the names mentioned, those stories of Micah, the, uh, the Levite priest, right? Uh, and Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, causing like a civil war amongst Israel. Those actually happened before the time of the judges, before God raised up men uh, to deal with, and women to deal with uh, the oppression they faced. So judges isn't just giving us a chronological, this is what happened during the time where Israel had no king. And often some of the judges were actually alive and ruled at the same time because at this time they've entered into the promised land, right? Some of the tribes have conquered and taken their land. Some of the tribes have not yet. And so some of these judges lived and ruled at the same time. These judges were often military leaders who were raised up to conquer the nation that was oppressing Israel during this time. And they were also there to rule, uh, make a ruling between disputes. So military leaders and, and to judge disputes amongst the tribes of Israel. So it's not just that these are the judges, this is what happened, then this, then this, and then this. So what is judges trying to do? And so what I hope to do this morning is to let us in on what judges, the book of judges is trying to do so that when we read the individual stories, we can read it in light of what it's trying to say. And as I was sitting in it, I felt like instead of focusing on one judge, I felt like the whole book had something to say to us today. So we're gonna kind of go through there. So where Judges kind of fits in the story, right? The, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God gives Moses the law, right? Uh, and what was the law meant to do? It wasn't just a set of rules like, hey, you, I'm just going to let you guys are going to be like strict. These are my rules, right? Just because I'm going to be, I'm just going to make sure you know who the authority is in this relationship. It's me, God. So here are all the rules I want you to live by. What was the law meant to do? The law was always meant to make Israel a holy nation, set apart, not worshiping like the other nations of the world do with child sacrifices, prostitution. Kids in here. Um, all of the, the different ways that the nations worshiped other gods. The law was always meant to say, hey, you are a holy nation. You are my people, and you're going to worship me and me alone. And so Deuteronomy, when, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 16, says this. Let me get here. Let me get out of the way. It says, fear the Lord your God. Worship him. 
and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Yeah. Isn't that messing around? Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massah. It goes on to say, carefully observe the commands of the Lord your God. Um, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Carefully follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry, then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. I think that's, that's all I need. So God gives, God tells Moses, hey, write this stuff down. All throughout Deuteronomy, from six all throughout, right? Is this continual, Moses continuing to remind Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is your God. Remember him, obey him. Worship him only. You're going to be seduced by the other gods of this world, by all the nations around you. You're going to want to worship their gods. Don't do it. I am the Lord your God. Consistently throughout Deuteronomy, Moses just said, hey, you're going to go into this new land. You're going to go into this new land. You're going to want to worship the other gods. Don't do it. Moses knew. In fact, In Deuteronomy, there were a couple times he's like, you're going to do it. Don't do it. You're going to do it. In Deuteronomy 28, it goes through the blessings of the covenant and then the curses of the covenant. If you obey me and you obey my commands, these are the blessings you will receive in the new land. If you break them and disobey me and worship other gods, This is what's going to happen in the new land. I will sell you out. I will hand you over. Don't test me. So Judges is between this time where Moses and and then Joshua, right? We, We learned last week that Joshua led them through the Jordan. They've entered into the promised land and Joshua again says, hey, don't worship the other gods. Don't do it. You're going to want to. He renews the covenant at, the, at, the, at Shemek. He renews the covenant with, he gathers all of Israel, all the tribes, all the elders, all the judges and says, hey, we are going to renew this covenant. Remember the covenant that, you, that your God, that God made with your father Moses. He wants to renew it. He wants you to remember as you enter into your own lands that God has given you, he wants you to remember. Remember what he's done for you and remember what he has promised. Remember the blessings, but remember what can come if you disobey. 
So Joshua 24, he gathers all of Israel and says, hey, don't worship other gods. You're going to worship other gods. Don't worship other gods. He says three times. The second time he's like, and Israel's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We remember. We're going to worship God. Yeah, he's our only God. The second time is like, Joshua's like, you're going to worship other gods. No, 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 no. We're only going to worship God. We remember what he did for us in Egypt, how he freed us from slavery. We're going to worship God. And Joshua says, okay, go to your lands. And he sends them out. So it would be like if we, if you guys were in MCs, if, if Chris was like one morning, he's like, okay. I, I'm not going to say he, he passed away. So Chris is like, I'm done. I'm out. We're going to send you MCs out to the lands that, that God has told us that he, he wants to send you out to different lands, right? So the North Peoria MC, you're actually going to go down south at 7th Street and Broadway, okay? Uh, that's the land he's, he's given you. So you're going to leave North Peoria. You're going to go to 7th Street and Broadway, okay? Sunny Slope MC, uh, you guys are going to go to Scottsdale. Maybe that was my MC. Maybe I shouldn't do that one. Uh, copper, copper uh, uh, you know, the Stafford Peck Schoonover MC. You guys are going to go to Scottsdale, all right? Uh, Sunny Slope MC, you guys are going to go to South Mesa. All right, what if we just sent you out? That's what, this was what the time of the judges was. They had no central king anymore. For so long, they had Moses telling them, this is what God says. Then he died. Joshua, this is what God says. This brief period of time in the story, there was no king. There was no leader. There was no one saying, hey, nation of Israel, this is what God says. This time, he says, go out. Go to the land I've given you. They have no king. It's the in-between of the patriarchal fathers of the faith and the human kings, King Saul, King David. It's this weird time. And so that's kind of where we're at uh, in the story. So, so what the book of Judges, it's, it's, what it's doing is explaining why Israel did not experience rest. This was a land that God had promised them to give them rest. They had just come out of hundreds of years of slavery, then wandered around a desert. And now they've crossed the Jordan and this land was always supposed to be rest. Enter into this land flowing with milk and honey and rest. And so judges are stories that are picked out, ordered in such a way that tell us the story. There was no rest for Israel. This was not a time of rest. It was a time of war, of fighting, of anxiety, of restlessness, 
of worshiping other gods, of God being angry, selling Israel to other nations and other kings. And so with this, we have to ask why, why? Why order it in this way? Why tell us these certain stories, right? And it, it, it tells us, um, it does this. So the book of Judges explains why Israel did not experience rest in the promised land, their inheritance. It does this by telling stories of selected events that portray Israel's increasing disloyalty and disobedience. The stories that are told within the book of Judges follow a pretty consistent formula that portray a cycle of sin that highlights each meaning of the story. So how is it trying to do this? This cycle, and I'm gonna go old school. I know I have it up there, but I'm going old school teacher on you this morning. I got my handy dandy whiteboard. I don't know if, I don't know if you're gonna be able to see it over there, Liz, sorry. So how does it do this? Pretty consistently with the major judges, right? There's one, there's 12 highlighted judges in the book of Judges. Not a mistake, because there weren't only 12 judges. Samuel was the last judge. He's not even mentioned in the book of Judges. But even in the days of Moses, he said he gathered all of the elders, uh, tribesmen, and judges of the nations of Israel. So even dating back to Moses, there were judges. But in the book of Judges, there's specifically 12. Six are highlighted as we call them major judges. We just know more about their story. And the minor judges, some of them are only mentioned by name and how long they ruled. But what is this? What do we learn by the story? So the major judges, it follows a pretty consistent formula. And this is the formula. First, rebellion. And... Uh, I'm going to go Baptist on you and, and do all R's for you this morning. Uh, also, maybe the teacher in me. Um, rebellion. Then there's a reaping of the consequences. Right? Then there's repentance. Then there's rescue or a rescuer. And then there's rest. This is a cycle we'll see. I'll, I'll read it to you in a minute. This is the cycle we see consistently in Judges. Over and over and over again. And this is how. Let's just read... Um, Let's just read the, the, first, the story of the first judge, Deuter, or not Deuteronomy, I'm still in Deuteronomy. Judges, um, Judges 3, 7. It says this. Israel did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Rebellion. They forgot their God and worshiped the Baals and Asherahs. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and sold them to the king Kushan Rishathem, I should have picked one that had easier names, of Aram Naharem. And their Israelites served him 
eight years. The Israelites cried out to the Lord. So the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle and the Lord handed uh, over King Kishan Rishathim of Aram to him so that Othniel overpowered him. Then the land had peace or had rest for 40 years. This consistent cycle is given with all the major judges. You see this in all the major ones. It starts out with, again, so it, it goes back to as soon as the judge dies, again, Israel did what was cited in the, in the uh, very next verse. The Israelites, as soon as he died, the land had peace for 40 years and Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Next verse. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now he gave King Eglon of Moab power over Israel and this cycle continues. They worship other gods. They get overpowered or sold to a, a, a different nation. They realize what happens and they cry out to God. God raises up a human, a human rescuer, a judge. There's rest in the land. As soon as this rescuer dies, they repeat the cycle. And it goes over and over and over again. So why? Why this rebellion? Let me do a different color. They had a king. Who was it? God. God was always meant to be their king. Even though they had Moses, they had Abraham, they had Joshua. They always pointed Israel back to their true king. But Judges tells us why. There's two reasons. Judges 2.10, they did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The previous generations failed in telling the stories of what God had done. In Deuteronomy, all throughout Deuteronomy and Joshua, Moses and Joshua remind the Israelites, hey, tell these stories to your kids. Tell them to the next generation so they don't forget. So they don't forget what I have done for you, how I have rescued you, how I'm giving this land to you. Because when they enter this land, they're gonna wanna worship other gods. They're gonna be enticing. They're gonna be alluring. So keep telling your kids the stories of who I am, what I have done. And in Judges, it says, that next generation did not know the Lord or what he had done. The previous generation had failed to tell the stories. In our MC this last week, and in, if you're in, a, in an MC and you guys meet this week, I'd encourage you guys to do this. We talked about what are some of the things we learned from the generation before us? Not just your parents, right? My mom's sitting here, so I gotta be careful. 
not just your parents, but maybe from your parents. Or maybe from the culture at whole. What was the generation before us? What are some of the things we learned from them? And some of the things that came out of that. And, and then we didn't end there, but what are some of the things we want to teach the generation behind us? It's discipleship, right? Who God calls us to. Continue telling the stories of who I am and what I have done to the next generation. We did talk a lot about a lot of things that are MC, but... Um, one of the things that we learned, if you grew up in church, you would, this might sound familiar to you, but one of the things we learned uh, specifically from the previous generation in church was this idea that God, God came to save you, just you, just the individual you. This just individualistic, Self-gospel, right? That it's all about me. Now, he did come to save individuals, but that's usually where it stopped in the good news that I heard. It stopped with me. I didn't hear the rest of the story. I only heard this, mainly. And that good news stopped with me. Right? If you, you may have heard this, if you grew up in church, for God so loved the world that he saved, or no, for God so loved, into your name here. We replaced the world with me. It ends with me. This individual self-focused gospel. And it continues today. Right? If we're honest, it continues today. Much of my default, much of my worldview was shaped by that good news that it ended with me. I didn't, I didn't have any concept or, or notion that I was called to something, right? That gospel was, you can be saved from something, right? You can be saved from your sin. You can be saved from hell, you can be saved from this world. But it was never, you are saved into something. You're saved into the family of God. You are saved into a family of brothers and sisters. It was always what you're saved from. And that leads me to the second point. The second reason why, why Israel rebelled and worshiped other gods, uh, Judges says this. So 2.10, they didn't know the Lord or the works they had done for, Is or what he had done for Israel. And Judges 17.6 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Different versions Everyone seemed what was right and everyone did what seemed was right in their own eyes. There was nobody saying, hey, this is what God's saying. This is how you should live. 
This is what God commands. There wasn't that then. So everyone was left to do what was right in their own eyes. Y'all, this is still an anthem in our culture today. This is still something we hear loudly in our culture today. There is no God. You can decide for yourself who you want to be. You, this, this autonomy of self, right? You have the power to decide who you want to be. You have the power to decide your gender, your sexuality, your relationships, your gospel, your church. You have the power to decide. No one can tell you what to do. There's no ultimate authority saying this is how you should live. You decide for yourself. There's no king. This is still an anthem that is being trumpeted, that is being uh, spoken to your kids, spoken to us, and it's something we're eating up. Our progressive culture says, you do you. Our progressive culture says, you can be anything you want. Nobody can tell you who you are. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can tell you your identity. This is what our progressive culture is telling us right now. There is no king. Yourself, you are king or queen. All right? I hear it all the time. You go, queen. You go, king. Right? You do you. And how are you supposed to argue with that? How, as a Christian who says, no, God is our authority, he has ordered things, he has ordered humanity and life in certain ways for humanity to flourish, this is how you should live. When culture says, no, you, can, you just do whatever you want. But before I get emails and DMs saying, hey, why are you picking on the progressives? There's another side that has its own king, that has its own anthems, that has its own literature, has its own uh, savior. Right on the other side, I read an article. I read an article uh, about this new uh, American First Caucus that they're trying to create in Congress. I think it lasted like an hour <laughs> before everyone was like, whoa, 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 hang on, baby steps here. But this is what, um, this is what Marjorie Taylor Greene says, and I quote, see who's king in this story. And I quote, 
Trump's America First agenda will save this country, will save our children, and ultimately save the world. I'm going to let that hang for a second. Both sides have their king. Right? And it's not this. There's self. There's presidents. There's senators. Hear me. There's pastors. There's theologians. Men. Women. Human kings. And here's the thing, we were created for worship. We were created to worship someone, God. So in lack of God being present physically with us, right? So I don't know if you guys remember this, even when Moses was there, when Moses went up, to get the, the commandments from God, right? He was gone 40 days on this mountain. Even in the presence of Moses, right? Israel's like, hey, Moses, what did God say? What, what are we supposed to do? God continually speaking to Moses, this is what God commands. This is what God says you do. This is how you're supposed to live. Moses is gone 40 days. And what are they doing that 40 days? Hey, Aaron, uh, we don't know what to do. Will you make us a golden calf? We need to worship something. We were created to worship. So it's not a matter of whether we will worship. It's what we're going to worship. So God was Israel's king, their authority, the only one to be worshiped. But Israel wanted a human leader. In the absence of a human leader, someone leading and directing them and saying, this is how you should live Israel just did what was right in their own eyes. They worshiped other gods. In the absence of literally someone telling them, this is what God says, they're like, oh, that God looks cool. Over and over and over again, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. They wanted a human king. They wanted a human leader. So what does God do? He gives them human leaders, right? He gives them Moses, Joshua, uh, Othniel, right? Later, Saul, David. Even in the story of Gideon, real quick, even in the story of Gideon, right? Gideon rescues Israel with 300 men. He gathered 30,000, right? 
Israel, Gideon gathers 30,000. Hey, I'm going to war. God called me to, to, uh, to take out this kingdom. Uh, and he, he sends letters to everybody. Thanks, dude, you're so helpful. Um, he sends letters. He gathers 30,000. And God's like, nah, too many. Why? Then you guys will be able to say you did it in your own power. Too many. Whittle them down. So he says, Gideon, uh, let everybody know if they're scared, they can go home. So Gideon's like, if you're scared, you can go home. 20,000 leave. Two-thirds are like, yep, that's me. I'm out. 10,000 men against hundreds of thousands. And God says, not still too many. Go to this, uh, go to this brook, go to this, uh, not a well, what is it called? Little water, go to this water, right? Go to the water. Watch how they drink the water and then I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. So in the, in, in the book, it says, some of them drank the water like dogs and some of them lapped it up out of their hands. So some gathered the water, knelt down, gathered the water and sipped it out of their hands. Some all fours just. <laughs> He's like the ones that licked it up like dogs, sent them home. 300 are left. God's like, now, now you ain't going to get the credit. I'm going to get the credit with 300 men, not even with swords. They went with a trumpet or a horn or something to blow and a pot with a torch inside. They go, they go to this kingdom and they, they blow the trumpet and break the pot and then the people just start fighting and killing themselves. Rescuers. And then what do they do? This is, this is where I was going with this. Israel's like, yes, you saved us, Gideon. We want you as our king. Be our king. Please, be our king. You're favored by God. God talks to you. Lead us. And Gideon's like, no, 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 no. God's your king. I'm not going to be your king. But if you want to give me your gold, I will make, a, I will make an idol for you. He had it right, and then he messed it all up. Israel wants a king. So what does God do? We worship these. We desire a human king. We desire someone to follow, right? He gives them this. Ultimately, he sends Jesus. He says, okay, I'll send you a human king. I'll send you a human king who not only uh, is better than these human kings, but is also God. How about that? And Jesus enters the picture and he says, ah, this cycle is exhausting. So he's, he enters into humanity. He goes away for 40 days in the middle of the desert. He preaches a sermon, I'm out. I'm gonna be gone for 40 days. Then in Matthew 4, 
As soon as he's done, as soon as the 40 days are out, what happens? He's led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answers, it is written. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where was it written? Deuteronomy 8. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that, they will, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Where was that written? Deuteronomy 6. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. I will give you all these things if you worship something else. And Jesus says this, go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where is that written? Deuteronomy 6. Jesus enters into humanity and where all of these other human leaders and kings failed in keeping the covenant that Jesus had, that God had ordained, that God had spoken to Moses to, to give to Israel, where all of these failed, Jesus breaks this cycle. He worships God. He was tempted to worship something other than God. He was tempted to worship self. If you're the son of God, if you're who you say you are, you have the power to make bread. You have the power to do all these things. Do it if you're God. Worship yourself. He says, nah, don't test the Lord your God. He breaks this cycle and fully fulfills the covenant that God had made with Israel. And in him, we find rest. In Jesus is where we have rest. As I've been wrestling with this though, I've realized how often how often I am still stuck in this cycle. As I sat in silence and solitude and I, and I looked back, I still wrestle with this cycle. Because the reality is while Jesus came, perfectly fulfilled the covenant, broke this cycle so that we no longer have to worship human kings but have access to the very throne room of God. We still fall in this cycle because we still want human kings. 
We still want something or someone tangible to tell us this is what you need to do. Which is not bad. But when our lives are ordered around self, when our worship is ourself, that's where it becomes dangerous. That's where we become restless, right? So as I've sat with this, oftentimes where I've seen myself in this cycle is where am I anxious? Where do I not have rest in my life? And as I walk back this cycle, I often find myself worshiping something other than God. Am I anxious about my finances? Am I anxious about my kids? Am I anxious about my job? Am I anxious about my marriage? Am I anxious about my house or my retirement? or any of those things. As I, walk my, as I walk those things back, it often leads to something other than God. Um, St. Augustine, a fifth century philosopher, theologian, and bishop from North Africa, in his confessions, he says this, you have, you have made us for yourself, God, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Expounding on this in his book, uh, in James Smith's book, You Are What You Love, he says this about that quote, because we're made to love the one who made and loved us and loves us, we will find rest when our lives are rightly ordered to this ultimate end. Since our hearts are made to find their end in God, we will experience a besetting anxiety and restlessness when we try to love and worship substitutes. The question isn't whether you will love and worship something as ultimate. The question is what you will love and worship as ultimate. So what was, so what is, hopefully I've, I've given us a framework. If we were to dive into the book of Judges uh, later this afternoon or this week, hopefully I've given us a framework so that when you read the individual stories within Judges, it's not a, why the heck is this in the Bible? It's a, oh, I see what the book of Judges is trying to do. So what was it trying to do then? Let me move this. The book of Judges was calling Israel to be a people, to be faithful to their covenantal calling to be the new humanity through worship and obedience in the midst of an idolatrous culture in order to display who God is and his purpose for the world. That is what Judges was trying to do then. What is Judges trying to do now? Calling a people. Us, miss you to be faithful to your covenantal calling to be the new humanity through worship and obedience in the midst of an idolatrous culture in order to display who God is and his purpose for the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
thank you that you are our king. That we have access through the power of your Holy Spirit to enter into your throne room, present our requests, present our lives as living sacrifices to worship you. That through your son's life, death, and resurrection, we can enter into your throne room because he made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And that we're not just saved from this world, but we are saved into a new humanity, a new family. To proclaim the good news to the generation behind us, to tell them the stories of who you are, what you have done, and what you will do. Help us to be faithful to that. May we repent of the idols, the other things that we worship other than you. Be gracious with us, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.